And so we're in a series uh, going through the book of Genesis, and we're looking at it in a number of, of different sections. And the first section we looked at, Genesis 1 to 11, is really about uh, origins. It's about beginnings. It deals with creation and the beginning of, of humanity and all things. Uh, and now we're moving on to the second section, which is really about this guy uh, named Abram. Uh, eventually, God will change his name to Abraham, and we're going to work our way through Abraham's story uh, over the coming weeks. And this morning, as, as we begin to work uh, through his story, we're going to see that God picks the most unlikely of characters to become the guy that he will work through. That the one that he chooses to become the father of his nation uh, um, is, is this one that you would never choose. And it's this one, ultimately, through whom the offspring, his offspring, uh, through his offspring, that we're going to be introduced to Jesus. And so the, the story of Abraham is a significant story in Scripture, and we're going to be looking at it over these coming weeks. And now, I don't know about you, but when I think of Abraham, and I'm going to refer to him as Abraham sometimes just because I'll forget to call him Abram, but when I think of him, I think of this huge hero of faith. I think of him, he's kind of like, I don't know what you would call him, but like a colossus, if you like, in the pantheon of heroes of faith. And he seems so far removed from anything that I could ever hope to be in and of myself. I mean, from a distance, that's the way he looks. He, he's one of the heroes of the faith talked about in Hebrews chapter 11. And not just one of them, but he's the one who's, who's given the most airtime in that chapter. And the Apostle Paul describes him in Romans 4 as follows, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God was able to do what he had promised. He's mentioned throughout the New Testament in Galatians, in Romans, in Hebrews, and other places, and he's held up as a life to imitate. And yet, despite all this, what we see in the chapters of Genesis where he is featured, he's actually a man who appears rather weak and uncertain and at times even sinful. If, if we're honest, sometimes he just messes up. He, he's just an ordinary fellow. And so this morning, I just want us to see that God picks the most unlikely of people, that God uses ordinary people to, fill, to fulfill his, his, his glorious plan. And I don't know about you, but that, that is one of the most encouraging things for me in all, all of Scripture. Because when I see a guy like Abram, and today we're going to see a guy with a lot of weaknesses. It's a great encouragement to me because I sometimes I, I ask the question, why would God use me? I mean, I don't know about you, but before I became a Christian, I made a mess of my life. And then I became a Christian, and I continued to make a mess of my life. And no matter how much I profess to follow Jesus, there are these detours that I take when I grab the reins of my own life. And sometimes I just say, God, why would you even choose to use me at all? And that's what's encouraging about Abraham's story. And so let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for 
We think that the Bible is such an honest book that we see stories like the story of this guy, Abram, and, and we're stunned that you would use people like this. And then we remember that we're people like this, and we're stunned that you would use us. And so as we look at Abram's life and we look at that one thing in his life that you used, uh, we're thankful, we're humbled, and, and so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 11, you, either in your Bibles or you'll find the text in your worship guide this morning. You know, we, we usually begin our, our reading of the story of Abraham at the beginning of, of, of Genesis 12, but that's not actually where the, his story begins. In, in the book of Genesis, the beginning of a, a major new section is frequently marked by the formula, this is the account of, or this is the generations of. And Abraham is, is no different. His story is introduced by the same marker in Genesis eleven twenty seven with the words, these are the generations of Terah. And, and, and we tend to skip over these verses that follow this announcement in, in order to get the more, to the more exciting material in Genesis uh, 12. Uh, but I think it's important for us to, to set Abraham's story in the constant text of what we find in chapters 10 and 11 with all of these lengthy genealogy records coming out of the story of Noah, describing all the nations that descended from him. And if you were here two weeks ago, Mike helped us look at how after the flood, God commanded the people to scatter, but instead they gathered. And so then after the Tower of Babel, he, he uh, went ahead and scattered them anyway. And then we come to chapter 11 to, and, and to focus on this one line of descendants, the descendants of Noah's son Shem. And, and we begin to see this pattern repeated uh, where this guy has a lot of sons and daughters and then his kids have lots of sons and daughters and then his kids have lots of sons and daughters and then his kids have lots of sons and daughters. Everybody has lots, and, lots of sons and daughters, but then the pattern begins to narrow even further and we be, begin to focus on just one family there in verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah, now, Sarah was barren. She had no children. Now, when we're reading a genealogy, if you're anything like me, it's just easy to quickly read through this name and that name and this name and that name, and you, and you kind of you know, blow through it, and you don't really engage with it, and as a result, you kind of miss what's happening. You miss the interesting stuff. And so here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to map it out for you. If you're like me at all, I'm visual, uh, so this really helps me see and understand what's happening here. Okay, so hopefully it'll come up. This is, the, this is going to be the family tree. Uh, we've got this guy Tara here. This is the, the patriarch, okay? And he has kids that we're told about. He's got Haran, uh, he's got Nahor, and he's got Abraham. Okay, these are his, his boys. Not very exciting yet. This guy, Haran, has three kids. We have Iska. Uh, she's a daughter. We don't know what uh, happened to her. Um, we have Lot. And we have Milcah. Okay, so these are Haran's kids. Again, 
not incredibly interesting. But, but this is where it does, the story does get a, 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 a bit interesting if you're paying attention. Because one of these guys dies, Haran dies. So we're going to cross him out. So this guy dies, and what happens? His brother marries his daughter. And that's actually not as weird as it, it seems, because in a lot of cultures, including a lot of what we see in Scripture, the, uh, the, the dad dies and we need someone to take care of the daughter. Uh, the uncle steps in and there's this thing that happens. We're just not used to arranged marriages, uh, that kind of stuff in our culture. But in this whole story, this is not the weirdest thing that happens. Let me show you the weird thing. Over here, Abram marries Sarai. Now, why is that weird? Well, well, you've got to go to chapter 20 to find out why it's weird. If you go to chapter 20, you find out that Sarai is Terah's daughter uh, with another mom. And Abram marries her. So here's what we've got. Abram marries his sister. Half-sister, still sister. That, that's the weird thing. And then you read this. You get to the last verse, verse 30, it says, Sarai was barren, she had no child. And it doesn't mean that she hasn't been able to have kids yet. It means she can't have kids. She and Abram have tried, have tried, have tried. They can't have kids. And so when you're drawing the family tree at this point, this line stops. You'll, uh, you know, you would normally go, well, well this, this one ends right there. The, the family line stops there. And so if you can see it, we put a period at the end of, of Abram's line. It's done. So if you're telling a good story, this ends their family line. We, we don't know what happened to Iska. We'll find out more about Lot later. This one in the middle seems to be the interesting story. But the way God tells the story, he's very creative. He likes surprises. He goes with this one. This becomes the, the story. Verse 31. So Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of, his, of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law and daughter, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So we now see them traveling from their home in Ur of the Chaldeans to Canaan. Now, if, if you've been around for the last month or so, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Canaan was one of Noah's grandsons. He was the son of, of Ham that Noah cursed. And, and he said that you, Canaan, will serve your brother Shem. And Shem is the top of this whole family line. And so now we see this family going into Canaan, into this place where the Canaanites would be their servants, would serve them. And so we're, we're now moving in, they're moving into that area. They, 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 they take this journey to Canaan. Now Canaan's about six or 700 miles east of where they started. So, so let me put some pins on a map for you. The blue pin is Ur. That's where um, Abram starts out with his family, with Terah and everybody. They are heading to the purple dot, that's Canaan, and they go instead to the orange dot, which is Haran which is six or seven hundred miles to the, the, north, the, 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 the northwest. 
Let me put this into context. If you were to put a map of the United States up here, it's like, it's like going from Los Angeles saying, I'm going to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and ending up in Salt Lake City. Why? We don't know for sure. We aren't told. What we do find out here is that it was actually Terah who first set out for Canaan, taking Abram with him. But the scriptures don't tell us why he wanted to make this Move. This was a period of time where there was a lot of great movements of population around the Middle East. And, and, and Terah, Abram, and, and Lot would by, would by no means have been alone in, in pulling up uh, stakes and setting off in search of greener pastures. But they never made it to Canaan. For some reason, again, we're not told why they stopped in Haran and settled there. But of course, uh, Terah dies there, so now we can cross um, we can cross him out. It's hard to, hard, to, hard, to, hard to see, but this is what we're left with. We're left with, in, with a story with Abram, his wife slash sister, and his nephew Lot. And they're all hanging out in, in Salt Lake City. And that's where we pick up the, the story in chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. And these three verses begin to create a trajectory for us that we see played out all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, to our day, even to the end of time. And so, let's take some time with this passage. Now, the Lord said to Abram, our God is an initiating God. He initiated with Adam. He initiated with Eve, he initiated with Cain and Abel, he initiated with Noah, and he initiates with Abram. He said to him, he initiates with his, with his word. Even today, we know that God initiates to us through the scriptures, through his word. He initiates with his word, and he initiates with this guy named Abram. Well, why Abram? One commentator I was reading this week said, well, this guy... He's just middle-aged, he's prosperous, he's settled, and he's thoroughly pagan. This is what we know about the guy. In other words, Abram had very little to his credit with which to attract the Lord's particular attention. For a start, he was an idolater. I mean, we find out in the book of Joshua that this guy and his family worshipped other gods. And since uh, Ur of the Chaldeans was a city dominated by the moon god uh, Nana. Uh, Abraham was probably brought up to worship the moon at the temple with his father. So he wasn't even someone who worshipped our god. He worshipped other gods. So he wasn't looking for God when God came looking for him. But he settled in the land. He's middle-aged. He's prosperous. Things are going well. The only thing this, wrong in this guy's life is that he and his wife can't have kids. And so to this guy, married to his half-sister who is infertile, and raised to worship other gods, and as we'll see, with a bit of an instinct to lie and deceive, God initiates and he says, I am going to do something great. And what's so remarkable to me about Abram is that Abram is so unremarkable. 
This is not the guy that you would naturally pick. This guy doesn't even have kids, can't have kids. His wife is barren. You don't pick that guy if you're looking for a patriarch to start your big nation. This guy doesn't even worship God. He worships other gods. He's settled. He's settled in Ur. He travels with his family all the way up to Salt Lake City. And he's now there with, with all of his father-in-law's stuff. And he's settled. And to this guy... God picks him, and he gives a huge promise. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you might be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So to a guy with no kids, and by the way, think about this. Abram's name means father. The name Abram translates exalted father. Abraham translates to exalted father of many. This guy, his entire life, has carried the name exalted father, and he has no kids. It's like his name mocks him. And now this God that he's never heard of comes along to him and says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And I'm going to make your name great. 5,000 years from now, they're going to sing a hokey pokey-like song about you and being your kids. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. That's how great your name and nation's going to be. He's a pagan. He doesn't even worship God. He worships other gods. And he says, I'm going to make you the father of a nation that worships me. Why Abram? Here's the reason. Because God picked him. That's it. God just picks him. He, he picks this guy and he gives him a purpose and a calling that is so much gr grander than his normal middle class lifestyle he's living. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you great. And here's your purpose in life now. That you will be a blessing. No longer is it about you, Abram. No longer is it about you and your wife. No longer is it about uh, your family. No longer is it about... It is now about others and about God's glory. I am going to make you into a blessing. And the only thing that God asks of him is this. Go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Go, I want you to leave everything behind. Now imagine being Abram. You've never heard of this God before. You've never spoken to this God before. You're worshiping other gods. You're settled. You have all that you need to live on. And this God speaks to you and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And all you have to do Leave everything behind. Leave. Go. Yeah, right. And this is what he does. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came 
to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built here, built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He did it. He just goes. Abram, Sarai, Lot, all their possessions and the people they acquired in Haran. What does that mean? Well, word people in Hebrew means people. Uh, acquired means acquired. And there are those who would try and whitewash this a little bit. They're like, well, what he did is he just convinced people that he was going for God, and he convinced them to come with him, and, 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 and they just all, all had this great thing. No, 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 that's not what it means. Let's not whitewash this. He was a slave owner. He acquired people and brought them with him. Abram was a slave owner who worshipped other gods. And this is who God calls. And now they move, and they're, they begin to finally go over to, the, to Canaan. So they're finally moving from the, the wrong dot to the right dot. They're moving from the orange dot to the purple dot, finally. And they get there, and they land in Canaan, and it says, From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So what you see is that God is leading. God says, listen, I want you to go. I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go. I just want you to go. I will tell you as you go. So he's going, and God's telling him, and he's building these altars as he, as he goes. And he makes his way all the way from the northern part, all the way down to the southern part of Canaan. And, he is now, and now he is at the Negev, which is at the edge of, of the desert. And so this is where he is, and, and things are going well. And then they go sideways. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say that you are my sister, which is actually technically true, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they pray, praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for, this, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Okay? So Abram makes it to Canaan, builds altars to God as he goes. He gets to the edge of the desert. It's Abram, Sarai, Lot, and all their stuff, and all the people that they had acquired. They've got this ginormous posse traveling along, and a famine hits. And we don't know about famines in, in California. Yes, we have droughts and maybe lose a crop from time to time, but we survive. The Safeway shells never go completely bare. Uh, in Sudan and, and Yemen right now, there are s significant famines that are happening. There are famines around, around the world where people are devastated. They don't know where they're going to get their next meal from. And Abraham is in that kind of situation. And he's responsible for all of these people, for all of these animals. 
And so instead of trusting God that he is where God has led him, he decides upon his own intellect, I'm going to go to Egypt. And so now let's throw up the map again. We, he, he, he now moves all the way down to the green dot. He moves to Egypt. He moves away from the promised land. I mean, Abraham's first compromise is only verses from, the Lord, from when the Lord promised to make him a mighty nation. He decides without God's permission, as far as we can tell, that the easiest way for him to survive a famine in Canaan is for his family to leave the promised land and make his home in Egypt instead. And so he steps outside of God's plan, and in doing so, he immediately presents, he's, presents himself with a problem. You see, because his wife Sarai, who's about 65, 66 years old at this point, is such a beautiful woman that she is sure to turn Egyptian heads. And so he, he therefore takes the coward's way out and orders her to tell people that she is his sister instead of his wife. And you have this picture where it's like, you know, she walks into Egypt and everybody in Egypt looks at her because she is so beautiful. And they take her to Pharaoh. Abram was right about this. All the way to the point that Pharaoh marries Abram's wife. And then gives Abram all kinds of stuff in return. Donkeys and oxen and slaves. Do you know what that means? Abram exploits his wife. He gives his wife to Pharaoh in exchange for all this stuff. And now he is extraordinarily wealthy. Let's recap. Abram worships other gods, settled in the land, moderately wealthy, has, you know, possessions and slaves and all of that. God calls this guy. He follows God, but then he gets afraid, takes things into his own hand, and sells out his wife. That's the guy God has picked. Continuing in the story, verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. You'll see in Genesis and Exodus that the Egyptians are always, always want to know what God is doing to them because God keeps doing things to them. So they're always asking the question, why is this happening? And then there's always a good reason. This is one of those. And so now we've got Abram and his wife and Lot and all their possessions and now a lot more. They're wildly rich and they're now moving back into Canaan where they had started from. Chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot was with him into the Negeb. And now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. So now he's wealthy beyond imagination. And, and this begins to go sideways. And, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. That's a phrase that you'll find time and again in Scripture. Called upon the name of the Lord. It means he repented. 
It means at this point, Abram realizes that he has not been following God, doing what God had, had called him. God said, listen, I want you to go. I want you to go wherever I tell you to go. And now he realizes what he's been doing, and he repents of his fear that God wasn't going to take care of him and his family in the, fam- in the famine. He repents of selling out his wife, and now he is back in the promised land. Verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. They just had too much stuff. And they're hauling all of this stuff around wherever they go. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Abram is remembering this promise that God made to him. God said, I'll give you land. They're in the land. But people are living in all the good parts. And he and his nephew are stuck with all of the stu- their stuff in the not-so-good parts. And God had promised him descendants, but he and his wife still uh, had the, the period at the end of their sentence. They had no kids. And, and, and God had promised them blessing, but the closest thing that they had to blessing was the ill-gotten gain from selling out his wife. And, and, and that was now turning into a curse. And yet, we see God is beginning to transform who Abram is from the inside out. Watch this. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the Garden of the Lord, that's the Garden of Eden, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. For the first time in his life that we see, Abram thought about somebody else instead of himself. He looked at the situation with his nephew. He said, listen, just pick the land you want. I'll take the rest. And what happened? Lot took advantage of him. Lot took the good stuff, as often happens. And Abram, it says, settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Let's think about this story. There's nothing remarkable about Abram. Nothing. And what's so remarkable is that God uses such an unremarkable guy. Middle-aged, middle-class, settled, worshiping other gods. Just a a normal guy married to his attractive sister. And this guy... God chooses, God picks him, God calls him, God makes ridiculous promises to him. And all that Abram has, all that he had was one thing, faith. In Hebrews 11, uh, it, describes, it describes Abram, Abraham this way. 
It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. That's faith. God makes these ridiculous promises to him and says, this is what the end is going to be, and I'm not going to tell you what's in the middle. That's faith. I'm not going to tell you what it's going to take to get there. I'm not going to tell you the journey you're going to have to have, the path that you're going to, that you're going to have, the, the pain and the sorrow and the, and the, and the joys. I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you this is where you're going, and I want you by faith to follow me. And he did. Yeah, he screwed up. He's grabbed the reins of his, of, 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 of his life. And after he repents, he messes up again. We're going to see some remarkable things in this guy's story. Over the next few weeks, his highs are are remarkable. The faith that he has in some crazy situations is beyond anything you can imagine. And his lows, he hasn't even got there yet. You would think that he would have learned his lesson about his wife the first time. It happens again. Highs, lows, and yet God uses him. He's a normal guy like you, like me. And maybe like me, you wonder, how can God use me? Before I started to follow Jesus, I was a mess, and then I started to follow Jesus. I placed my faith in him. I have faith, and yet... My life doesn't seem to get better overnight, and I keep making mistakes, and I keep sinning, and yes, I have some great highs there, but man, there are, there are some terrible lows. We're like Abram, and just like him, God reaches out to us. He loves us. He gives us faith to believe, and he begins to change us from the inside out. And he saves us through Jesus. You know, a lot of people will ask the question, well, how are people saved in the Old Testament? Well, they're saved through Jesus. In Galatians 3, 7, it says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The the gospel is what? It's the good news. What's the good news? That Jesus, God God himself, steps into humanity, takes on human nature, becomes 100% God, 100% man, lives a sinless life, dies on the cross, is buried, and on the third day rises again. That is the good news. And God preached the gospel, the good news, to Abraham. And so Abraham looked forward in faith that one day his offspring, Jesus, would save the world. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham was a a man with feet of clay but he was also a man of daring faith. The builders of of Babel had longed to build a name for themselves through their own effort, but here was a man who who would let God build a name for him through his undeserved favor. And when you place your faith in Jesus, you you not only become a son of God, you become a son of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. 
many sons than Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord. It's a, it's, it's a cheesy kid's song, but theologically pretty tight. Except for the whole right arm in, left uh, arm out thing. But here's the thing. When you place your faith in Jesus, you are declaring that like Abram, you don't deserve to be chosen by him. And yet Jesus chooses you anyway. And just like Abram, by placing your faith in him and moving and not knowing where it is that he's going to take you, you trust him with the end. And even when you take a detour, he brings you back to where you need to be. And he does the work of, sanctify, of sanctifying your life. And yet, although God called Abram and Sarai to become a great nation, listen, for a long time, all that distinguished them from their neighbors was the promise of God. I mean, there was no halo of glory surrounding them and their camels as they traveled from Haran to, to Canaan. Nor was there a pillar of, of cloud and fire to lead them as Israel had coming out of Egypt. At, 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 at a time when many other people were traversing the Near East, they appeared to be just another group of travelers. Only the promise of God marked them out. And listen, it's the same way for us today, isn't it? What marks out the believer today? Well, it's not that we're somehow smarter than the rest of the world. We're not richer. We're not better looking or healthier. And, and we experience many of the same problems and, and crises that they do, often of our own making. So what marks out the believer is different? Only the promises of God do. If you're a Christian this morning, you know that God is working in and through you to achieve his purposes in the world. If you're a Christian, you know that in all things, God works for the, the good of those who, who love him and are called according to his purposes. And it's that reality that enables you to press on in life when you find yourself drowning in, in, in painful feelings or dire circumstances or broken relationships. We cling to the promise of God and the God of promises. We don't have to understand. We, we just have to sometimes cling. And this is the lesson that Abram had to, to learn. And like so many of us, he had to learn this lesson not once, not twice, but repeatedly. It took him a while to catch on. But listen, we have, we have an advantage over Abram. I mean, we have the whole history of God's faithful dealings with his people recorded in the Scriptures for our instruction. And you know, what's more, God promises to us have been signed and sealed in the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Abram had to leave his home and his family on the strength of the bare word of God's call. Listen, we have this further assurance that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Brothers and sisters, that's why it's such, an, important, such an, an encouragement to gather around the Lord's table each week. We come as those who are marked out from the world by the promises of God and by faith partake of the sign and seal of the promise. 
It's here at this table that we remember that Christ died for us. It's here at this table that we remember that there is no forgiveness, there, there, there is no forgiveness anywhere else, nor, nor, nor do we need any other resource. It's here at this table that we, we remember God's stubborn grace, his inexplicable love for sinners, whom he slowly, patiently, and thoroughly turns into saints who can stand forever in his presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you.